The party arrives in the farming town of Red Road. They ask the innkeeper, Hey, why are you building a big bonfire? Was there another undead rising? Yes and no, the innkeeper explains. We sent a dozen young warriors to deal with a ghoul attack up the road. No one died, but ten were injured. And now they've all come down with a terrible fever. The players do the math. Ten fevers means possibly ten ghouls. That's a really bad day. Ten ghouls could rip through a town like this if they all turn at once. Some folks in the town say they have to burn the sick and infected now. Others say they'll not kill these people just because they might turn. There's no easy answer. This is not the player's business. It would be easy to walk away. The more calloused PCs wanted to do just that and walk away. But their bastard of a DM did something no one expected, introduced some likable PCs on both sides of the argument who wanted to do what's right for their family and community. Alignment, morality, and proactivity. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. Our last session was a travel scenario. The group was moving from point A to point B with some wilderness and farmlands in between. I introduced weather and had them deal with the ramifications of all of that. I often feel that D&D groups will take on hardships that modern-day people would find traumatic, such as walking through a heavy rain. I was glad to see them seek out shelter from that heavy rainfall, and it opened up opportunity for role-playing and allowed them to deal with some outstanding party issues. I also had to be ready with another town. I had no idea if they would go to the town or circumvent it entirely. My prep consisted of a map, some names, and I thought I needed something interesting, so I concocted the wounded soldiers from a ghoul attack scenario that I described at the top of the podcast. I wanted there to be no clear answer to the scenario. All any sane person would have to do is put themselves in either side's shoes to see that they could easily empathize with either group. If it was your child suffering from a fever and a ghoul wound, would you give them up to be killed because it was likely or even a given that they would turn into a ghoul? And if you were an elder, how would you handle ten potential ghouls in your small town? My purpose in putting this in front of them was to illuminate the trouble this region faces with undead. It actually doesn't matter to me if they help, don't help, or even stopped at this town. My goal was to make the world feel more like a living place. They did decide to stop, but had no intention of staying overnight. Then they discovered the situation and saw it play out. They watched reasonable people make a reasonable argument to angry parents why they should take their sick son away from them. Constantine the Dwarf is firmly on the side of minding their own business. This is not their problem, and these people know what they're dealing with. Bren, the half-orc fighter, is inclined to get involved because he does not like leaving a problem at their back. What if they have to come back through this way? Voss and Jarrus believe they should help, and make noises to the effect of, are we heroes or what? Sativa, 
the newest character in the party replacing Mir, thinks the sick should be burned, and is very wary of fighting ten ghouls, but she might be able to actually help the sick so long as they can survive long enough for her to swap in lesser restoration to her spell list. As the DM I watched this all play out in real time like a slow-motion car wreck, I never intended for us to get here. I never thought they'd be tempted to stay. I thought they'd leave. I think what happens with these kind of ambiguous situations is you force players to decide who their character is. Sure, they can manage the black and white scenarios often posed by RPG encounters, but this is a tough one, and I know so because I watched PCs change their minds as others were debating. Now, I don't want to paint myself as the innocent and neutral observer here, as I saw the situation develop and realized the dramatic potential if they did get involved, I decided to nudge things in a fun direction. One of the things they want to do is connect with the Dawn Knights, an elite cast of warriors who should hear about what happened in the town from the party's last adventure, Borlane. They discover there are two such knights in this town, but both are sick. One has angry crossbow-wielding parents, for the other I painted this scene. As you approach their house, you see a man in a nightshirt, pale, staggering, drenched in sweat, attempting to leave the house. He uses a spear as a walking stick. They engage with him and discover he is the sick dawn knight, sneaking out to offer himself to the bonfire so that his wife and family will not be harmed if he turns into a ghoul. The party is touched by his bravery, and it seems they are debating if they should help him to the fire or what? When he collapses and his wife comes out. She's angry and wants him back in the house. Turns out she's something of a warrior herself, and she wants to fight. Fight for her husband. They help her get him back into the house and earn her trust. And now they are a part of this. They want to help these people if they can. In essence, they've become trapped by their own empathy. It doesn't make me happy. That would be wrong. Coming out of this situation, Joe, running Bren, has been twisting a bit to reconcile his on-paper alignment with what he believes Bren would do. It illuminates why alignment is an imprecise tool for informing character. It presumes absolutes where there are none, at least not for mortal characters. We've all of us been lawful good, chaotic evil, and everything in between. You don't think you've ever been chaotic evil? Not even just a teeny tiny bit? Ever stepped on a bunch of ants outside? Look, I'm not judging, but we've all had tiny moments where we destroyed things for the sake of destroying them. Within us is the capacity for the whole spectrum, and it both explains the real-world atrocities allowed by societies throughout history, as well as the stories of unimaginable kindness. And God help me, but that episode of Star Trek where Kirk is split into the good and the evil Kirk feels conceptually informative, at least. The evil lunatic within you is needed sometimes, as is the soft, overkind fool, and the overacting. Chew that scenery, fellow DMs. Chew it as if your life depends on it. Bren has stated his alignment as chaotic neutral. It's the I-get-to-do-what-I-want alignment, as is true neutral. I'm not judging. The last two characters I played were neutral and chaotic neutral, respectively. My point is that it doesn't matter. I think, to be accurate, you'd have to plot your alignment as a heat map on the nine-box grid of lawful good to chaotic evil. For most folks, one of the four extremes are off-limits. 
but you range across the six remaining boxes. For example, a good character might mostly be lawful good, but they probably will dip all the way to chaotic good at times, like letting the thief child go because they only stole because they're hungry. Or they stick to the word of the law because it throws some villain in jail, even if they don't believe in the justice of the law itself. For this reason, I kind of prefer the fourth edition alignment options. They trim it down to just five. Good, which is about general good and freedom and kindness. Lawful good, which is about civilization and order. Evil, which is a focus on tyranny and hatred. Chaotic evil, which is about entropy and destruction. And finally, unaligned, having no alignment, not taking a stand. When introducing this structure... Wizards of the Coast talked about the unaligned option as a generally helpful person that captured most of society. Does it lose some nuance? Sure, but I think it gets at the meaningful differences and pits lawful good and chaotic evil as the key polar opposites. Where Joe the player has expressed struggle is rectifying what motivates Bren the character, his alignment, and where he would be proactive. Why does he adventure? Plunder, yes. Freedom from the mercenary corps. The ability to make a living using his martial skills, but also to find the ancient shield of Iona, which was lost by his ancestors and has disgraced his family. It feels neutral, but how does that link up with chaos? And I think this all came up as a discussion from Joe trying to figure out why Bren would help these people. His concept of Bren supports the idea of helping them, but it's hard to balance it with this mercenary do-it-for-the-money-based alignment. In this moment, he's being good. Say what you want, make up whatever excuse, but he's doing this because it's the right thing to do. Now, to be clear, if these people were not nice to him, if they were law-abiding folks, but rude, no way is Brent helping them. So, chaotic for this character means he prioritizes freedom, and neutral means he also prioritizes himself, but sometimes he'll bounce over into good if he feels like it, even if it's a risk. It's hard to codify that within the alignment system, so why bother? Alignment is like a statistical average. Bren is chaotic neutral 75% of the time, so that's what we call him. But 25% is a commanding minority of his time. As many others have noted, alignment is rarely functional within the game. Perhaps it is for clerics and paladins, but for the most part, I try not to think about it within character creation. Too often, selecting an alignment shackles players. What comes first, the character or the alignment? And the answer is the character. Just play your character and don't worry about it. Morals and judgments about right and wrong are treacherous territory. I try not to dip too often into this well. We play these games to have fun, fight monsters, and get cool treasure. Tell a story, entertain each other. I don't want to turn a fun time into a depressing situation. Hey, you just killed all the goblins when you discover a cave with all their babies. What do you do? Yikes. Within the situation at Red Road, the moral quandary sits between killing the infected to save the village or honoring them as heroes and facing the consequences. These kinds of Kobayashi Maru situations have an interesting effect on people. They are now asking, can we save them? And then insisting that even if they can't, they can tie them up so if they do turn, they can be dealt with. They want their cake and they want to eat it too. Players don't like being backed into a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. What I like about this is I can feel the players trying to straddle the fence. In part, they are on board with saving the infected, but they also want to lock down the potential risks involved. 
and this presents the fulcrum of this particular seesaw, because the first rule of drama is, things get worse. Bruce's new character can only cast so many lesser restoration spells, and that number is not ten. There will be mistrust and strife within the community, between those who will lose patience with the infected and the family and friends of the infected. You see, it's selfish to risk everyone else when they can deal with the problem now. They know what will happen. Why wait? But then the sick and their families are heroes. These are the people who risk themselves to save the town and fight the ghouls. Don't you owe them? And what about the impact on a small town of losing ten able-bodied fighters, especially a town that's besieged by undead on a regular basis? If there is a chance to save them, isn't it worth the risk? And let's not forget the human factor. When the players interact with the noble wife of one of the soldiers, herself a warrior, she's not giving up. How can you give up? The point is, you can make either argument effectively. Both sides make sense, leaving morals as the only framework for decisioning. In the end, decisions like these are emotional, and the rationale comes afterwards as a means to win the argument. Watching that play out will be a ton of fun. Because where we left off is with another ghoul rising north of town. What's left of their fighting folks recruit Bren and Constantine to ride out and meet them. RPCs will be stuck between the two factions in town. Those who want to wait and see what the sickness brings, and those who want to burn them now. And the potential threat of powerful undead descending on the town. This is becoming our Seven Samurai moment. Or Magnificent Seven, if you must. Situations like these work for me, because whatever encounters I design within this framework are so much more compelling because of what's at stake. Lives but also the moral fiber of the PCs. Who they are comes out in moments like this. The last bit of this is about proactive player decisions versus reactive decisions. In a way, everything is reactive in that they are reacting to events in the campaign, so let me better define it. Proactive is when you have a choice. An ambush in the woods is not proactive because they have to fight or die. But if you set the village on fire and say, do you run or help put out the fire, I'm going to codify that as proactive. Something they're choosing to do. It's a bit of a seed change in my campaign for these characters to, in the majority, choose to stay and help. Everything else they've done was for material gain. Of course, the ultimate proactive test is to sit them in safety and ask what they pursue, meaning there are no driving factors leading them to some adventure. They have to pick for themselves almost completely. Throughout this session, they chose to go to the town, which I was not certain they would do. Chose to engage the innkeeper, chose to engage the infected dawn knight, and ultimately chose to do something about the situation. I have to admit to be flabbergasted enough that at the end I asked the players, did you feel railroaded into this? Sometimes I think players think, when a DM puts something in front of them, that this is what they're supposed to pursue. But no, they confirmed they pursued it because they thought it was interesting and they felt like they had other options. All of this gets me thinking about how alignment and proactive decisions intersect. More pointedly, where will your characters opt in for risk? For money? To save the weak? To save each other? I think it's important to know because those are the tools at your disposal to lure them into your plots. If you know, for example, that the only thing that really gets them to do anything is material gain, well, then that's what you have to link to everything that you're doing. For me, and for this group, I feel my tools have just expanded. 
There was a lot that went on in the session, and it's a session where I was not particularly active. There were moments for sure where I had to be on my toes and coming up with new ideas, the names of individuals, NPCs on the fly. None of that was really that big a deal because I've done my prep, which is often about lists of names and thinking about the general structure of this town they're in. But mostly this was the players interacting with each other trying to figure things out, talking through certain problems, trying to decide, among other things, if they wanted to stay and help this town. In the beginning, most of it felt like them talking themselves into leaving. They clearly saw that this was not their fight. This was not their problem to solve. They were just probing to find out more about the situation. And as they dug deeper into it, I think they got sucked in by the emotion of it all, that these were in fact good people. And with each step as they proceeded to leave the town, that was the plan, and they were actually executing the leaving of the town when they saw first one family holding off men with crossbows who were trying to argue with them to let them take their son. Then they headed up, they got themselves uh, replacement pack animals that had been killed by some boule out in the hills. And while that's happening, some of them go over to the other house and they have the encounter with the other Dawn Knight that I described, and that, that Dawn Knight's wife. I saw it slowly dissolving from a resolution to leave and go about their business to the decision to say, are we heroes or not? I think we have to stay. Now, not all of them came to that conclusion. Certainly, Constantine is a holdout, and I think Sativa could be convinced that they should leave as well. But she's also willing to help, and ironically... She's the only one that really can help. What's fascinating to me is we're going to find out what happens in the next session. I never planned on having this session. And this is the exciting part about this game, that I'm not in control of everything. To find out that now we're going to run this scenario where they're going to be besieged on all sides while trying to save these ten infected people and navigating the diplomacy and the politics of a small town. That's nothing I ever intended for us to do, but now that we're here, I'm completely excited to do exactly that. So, food for thought. If, in the course of your dungeon mastering, you ever find yourself within a scenario that you're completely ill-prepared for, a dramatic turn of events that is not of your own making, but has now taken the story down a different and more interesting path than you had surmised, pat yourself on the back, because I think... You're doing something right. This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to like, share, subscribe, tell your friends, warn your enemies, and write a review. I would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on Twitter, where I am at Anatomy Camp, or even shoot me an email, phil at campaignanatomy.com. Thanks for listening.